0: I handed Terry a little bag there. He doesn't know what's in it yet. But I'm going to tell you before he even opens it, because so. uh, you 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 bought it for him. Um, we bought him a little uh, a communion set that you take the shut-ins to serve uh, communion to remember you by and his service hereby, so that hopefully, over the many many years ahead when he's out doing uh, a little ministry, he'll remember uh, where he started with us here in uh, in Sioux Falls, which in the providence of God, we're very, very thankful that he did. By the time Paul's writing to Timothy, here and even in the first letter, Paul is already officially, because the ancient world divided these things up fairly concretely, Paul is officially an old man. Uh, If you're over 60 in the ancient world, too bad you're an old man. Those of you who are 40, doesn't matter how you feel, you are no longer in your youth. Now, other than those markers, it's a little hazy as to how old. Timothy was. The guesses range all the way from as young as 25, but that has relatively few takers. The majority opinion has Timothy at this time, fairly close to Terry's age. Uh, they, they, They put Timothy 35 to 37, somewhere in there. That's sort of the majority view of how old he would have been by the time Paul writes this first letter. Terry was about 25 when he came to see me and asked me what I thought about the idea of him going and getting a PhD in uh, theological studies of one form or another. And um, and it is my way. I was pretty negative. Um, I said, well, um, you know, you'd have to keep in mind that there would be a little less than a 1% chance that you would ever find a job in that field. So unless you think you might be called into the pastorate, You probably don't want to head down that road. And Terry reminded me just the other day that Paul Rainbow gave him exactly the same advice, which makes me feel a little better, that he's as negative as I am. I would have thought of Paul maybe as slightly more positive, but apparently not. Um, Of course, he is actually the owner of quite an impressive PhD and knows where it does and does not take you. But very soon after that, Terry did start his program at USF into Sioux Falls Seminary. I can't remember what it was still called uh, North American Baptist at that time, or they'd already changed the name. But in any case, uh, he needed an internship program, and that's how he served for two years here as an intern and then came on staff and has served here as a staff member for 10 years. Um, and so uh, that's uh, how we got here. Uh, it would uh, take too much time to explain to you. Why, well, why is he only getting ordained after all this time? You can ask him about that. Um, uh, but uh, um, but in this text, an older preacher is, in this case, an apostle exhorting a younger preacher as to what their life should be about. And that's really as broadly and as full orbed as he puts it to Timothy. Here's what your life, Timothy, ought to be about. Here's what anybody going into the ministry ought to be about. And indirectly, of course, because it's congregations as well that read what we call the pastoral epistles, 1 and 2 Timothy and Titus. What should congregations want their preacher to be about? Uh, Because by implication, that also is what we find from Paul Addressed to Timothy in our text for this morning. Now, I would make this bold statement as to what Paul believes and how he thinks about such things. Our thesis, the teaching ministry of the pastor is central to everything. And you might Finish that out. Everything in the kingdom of God. Central to everything in the kingdom of God. Well, that's pretty self-serving as a pastor to say something like that. But you know, in what we call the great commission, the great commission, here's how Jesus described it. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Matthew twenty-eight nineteen, Baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I'll be with you always, even to the end of the age. Now the baptism part takes less than... A minute. At least especially if you're a uh, immersion Baptist, you hope it takes quite a bit less than a minute. Um, but the other part the other part takes the rest of your life. It never ends. Teaching them to obey all that I commanded. I saw on the Desiring God website uh, just in the last couple of weeks that John Piper is trying to remarket a book that he wrote 17 years ago um, in 2006 because he thought it was a really, really, really good book and it sold really, really, really poorly. And so they are putting a different title on it. Um, I thought it was a good book. Our our men's group, some of you, many of you, uh, went through it together in the fall of 2011 into the winter of 2012. Back then, it was called What Jesus Demands of the World. Fifty of the commands of Jesus One command for each chapter. We took it two chapters at a time because the chapters are short. And now Piper is renaming the book All That Jesus Commanded. The Christian life according to the Gospels. And pretty much by implication, the Christian life according to the New Testament. The Christian life according to the Apostle Paul as well. Teaching is at the heart of everything in advancing the kingdom of God. At the end of the intro to that book, Piper wrote this sentence, a couple of sentences. The mandate is that the thing that I have tried to set forth in this book, namely the teaching of Jesus, the commands of Jesus in particular, be taken to the nations. This is what it means to make disciples. Not just that they make profession of faith, but that they observe all that I commanded you. The heart of the Great Commission. It's the aspect of the Great Commission that takes the rest of your life. It takes the entire life of any preacher, any light teacher, takes the life of any disciple the rest of your life. You are teaching and trying to learn to live by all that Jesus commanded you. But you have to do that in an environment where People have a lot of other ideas about what maybe would be more useful, that would work more quickly, that would maybe enhance your success a little more quickly. And so you're asked to stick with this in the midst of a myriad of other suggestions that quite frankly do seem to work a lot better. So it's really important for somebody entering into what Terry's entering into. As we've put it, to know what you're about. State our first point for this morning this way. Be sure you know what you are about. Verses 11 to 14. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth. But set the believers an example in speech and conduct in love and faith and purity. Until I come, devote yourself to public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Don't neglect the gift you have been given. Prophecy, the counsel of the elders, when they laid hands on you, Command and teach these things. Remember, context is king. So, these things. What's he talking about? Well, be good to check the previous paragraph. And if you check the previous paragraph, you'll find a nice little summary of what these things are and what they're not in verse 7. Uh, 1 Timothy 4, 7. Have nothing to do with irreverent Silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. Now that's a politically correct translation of what Paul wrote. And you'll you'll figure out right away uh, why Uh, we translate it differently now. Because what Paul wrote, quite literally, was, have nothing to do with Old women's silly myths. That doesn't seem like much of a compliment to old women. Um, And and so we, we translate it out. But the picture you see, the picture you see, Is actually very vivid if you pay attention to it because it's not just true, of course, of old women. It's true. There's always, if if you go, for instance, well, I'll I'll pick on the other gender for a moment. If if you would be a regular at High V, there's a group of retired men always in there at various tables, and they discuss the great issues of life. Um from the vantage point of almost the purest sort of ignorance that you can imagine. Um, and there, there they are, the holding forth, uh, day after day, on um, the great issues of life. And, uh, and, and Paul has seen groups of ladies do this. And, and now, you see, we have the World Wide Web. So this kind of nonsense is everywhere all the time, backed by billions of dollars like nobody's ever seen before. Silly myths floating all over the place. And Timothy was being told in the first century Roman Empire version of that, you stay labor, laser-focused on this, training people in godliness, training people to shape their lives by the revealed will and way of God. Train yourself in godliness. Both of the, those opening two verbs he uses are both present imperatives. You keep on doing this, even when it doesn't seem to be working. Keep on doing this. You present and teach these things. Keep training people in godliness. Let no one despise your youth. Why is he teaching Timothy to be thin-skinned? You know oh, don't let anybody look don't let anybody push you around. Don't let anybody say to you that you don't know what you're talking about. you stand up and no, oh, it has nothing to do with that. It's this. Your message is so important, and these people need it so badly that you can't allow your youth to be used against you so that they can safely ignore what you have to say. And that's the thrust of it. That's the gist of it. Uh, be an example in speech, conduct, faith, purity, all for the same reasons, all to the same purpose, that you don't give people an excuse not to take you seriously. Because the people you're trying to help live in an unending swirl of silly myths. Silly myths are all over the place. I was talking to somebody earlier this week used the the term, I thought instantly of this passage as we were talking about it. Um, Conspiracy theories. Silly myths. And we sign up. We buy in. We see it on the internet. We sign up. The silly myth of the month club. Right? Don't do that. He says, don't sign up for silly myths. And there's only one way, one possible way to keep from signing up. Because I know I'm speaking to an audience where many are fully signed up. You have your favorites. There's only one way not to be that not to stay there. And it's what he tells Timothy to make absolutely central to his life and what any pastor needs to make absolutely central to his life. Now the our, our translation again is it's a fine translation but it does add a word um, by context, and it's, there's, there's certainly truth to it, so that the public reading of Scripture, the public reading of Scripture, exhortation, and, and teaching. Um, but the King James Version reminds us of what's actually simply there and what isn't, because uh, here's the King James Translation of the same passage, and they're looking at, they're, they're just taking it much more straightforwardly. Give attendance to reading, to exhortation, and to teaching. So be a reader of Scripture. Reading. Exhortation. Apply the thing that you've read to your life and to the lives of others. Exhortation. Teaching. Teach the view of the world that you find in this book. Take from this book what, who God is, what he loves, what he hates, what the world is, who human beings are. Take from this book the fact that actually gender is not a social construct that God made them male and female in the beginning. It's not a social construct. It's a created category of reality. And on that score, almost everybody in the most sophisticated halls of our media have completely swallowed down Silly myths and pass them on and live on them and try to get you to live on them. That's how it goes. Give attention to reading, to exhortation, to teaching. Because that's where the formation of godliness comes from. And as we'll see, that's the only hope of salvation in this world at the end of the day. Secondly, be sure that you are immersed in what you are about. Um, again, two more imperative Verbs, two more of the Ten Commandments. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that you may see your progress. Again, the context is King. Practice these things. What things would that be? Reading, exhortation, and teaching. Practice. Practice. Be sure that you are reading and reading and reading and reading. The Bible is your book. Not only reading, but applying it to yourself and others. Applying it to yourself and others. Applying it to yourself and others. Teaching the categories within which... Reality exists. I've recently quoted him again. I'm going to quote him again, yet again. Uh, Kevin Van Hooser The people of God are called together by God to embody God's word in worship, witness, and the key thing of wisdom. Worship, witness, wisdom, wisdom. Wisdom, which covers every conceivable area of life. Spiritually, divinely revealed wisdom for the sake of the world. They mentioned again, just a couple weeks ago, Kevin Van Hooser would say, he's uh, 66 years old now. He would say, the last 40 years of my life has been about answering this question. What does it mean to be biblical What does it mean to be biblical? Every single pastor ought to have somewhat of an answer to that question. What does it mean to be biblical? What does it mean to live a biblical life? What does it mean to conduct a biblical ministry? And that's Terry's calling, to live a biblical life. To conduct a biblical ministry. the second verb is just really, really striking. Immerse yourself in them. Literally, again, would be be in them. Be in them. You be this. You be a person of the book. You be a person who applies the book. You be a person who who teaches the book. I mentioned just a few weeks back the uh, uh, two most famous theological names of the 20th century, both of them relatively liberal, but far the most liberal of the two, as we said during that reference, Paul Tillich. Uh, Paul Tillich didn't write many popular-level books, but he wrote one, and it was a great, catchy title. Oh, man, what a wonderful title. On, on such of a useless messenger, uh, a great title. He called it The Courage to Be. The Courage to Be, that is a great title. The Courage to Be, somebody who comes to know what God says. The Courage to Be, somebody who exhorts themselves and others from the framework of what God says. The courage to be a person who teaches the biblical framework for truth no matter what the world is saying at any given time. The courage to be. Paul said to Timothy, be in these things. You be in this book, you be in the application of this book, you be in the teaching structure. Of what this book says. Purpose clause. So that all may see your progress. Now that's the discouraging part of it. All may see your progress. I've been doing this for 38 and a half years. I'm afraid I don't have the progress to show for it. There's some, but there should be an awful lot more, given the privilege that I've had to look into things as carefully as I have. Even if you've only been a Christian for five years, there should be some progress. Is your life increasingly shaped by what the Bible says? Is your understanding of reality increasingly controlled by what the Bible says? By the revealed will and word of God? It ought to be. It ought to be. Many evangelicals, they have a theology, say, well, yeah, that would, it would be nice. Yeah, no, no, I'm all, I'm all for that. But, you know, really, it doesn't matter that much. Because what I understood, and I have understood from the earliest days, is that, you know, once you're saved, always saved. So once you've prayed a certain prayer with a given amount of sincerity, here's the word on you. Good to go. Good to go. I've prayed this prayer with X amount of sincerity. And so here's what I know for sure, good to go. There is not a single word in the Bible that would lead you to say something like that. But it's an incredibly popular silly myth. Embraced by the majority of evangelical people because they have no idea what the Bible actually says about anything related to those topics. As we'll see in a moment. I've mentioned many times my junior high teacher really, 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 really love 1 John 1, nine. Very, very few people really, really, really love 2 John nine. Here's what it says in 2 John nine: Everyone going ahead and not remaining in the teaching of Christ doesn't have God. The one remaining in the teaching, this one, has also the father and the son Now did you notice what it's hinged on If you don't remain in the teaching you don't survive That's what he says If you don't remain in the teaching you won't spiritually survive, says John. But if you remain in the teaching, oh then, then all the evidence is that you in fact have the Father and the Son. Thirdly, be sure you know what is at stake. In what you are about. At this point. This. Passage of scripture. Turns shocking. In some ways the more familiar you are with the writings of the apostle Paul. The more shocking it becomes. Um, Especially. um, Well I think just accurately. in, in, In actual emphasis for the most part. A big. Things that Paul has said, especially those that become famous in, in the Reformation and famous in the Reformation for good reason. You know, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, By grace are ye saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God and not as a result of works that no one should boast. But Paul writes this to Timothy. Keep a close watch on yourself and on your teaching. Persist in this. For by so doing, you shall both save yourself and your hearers. Pay careful attention to yourself and the teaching. Remain in these two things. For doing this, you shall save yourself and those hearing you. Whew. AT Robertson taught Greek and New Testament at Southern Theological Seminary over a century ago in Louisville, Kentucky. He was a meticulous and incredibly hard-working scholar. Who wrote a 1,500 page grammar of the Greek New Testament? An incredibly tedious scholarly book to write. A scholar's scholar's scholar. That was his gift. He wrote a little book that I read 30-some years ago um, To uh, just called The Minister in His Greek New Testament. Frankly, it wasn't that good. Uh, I was pretty disappointed in it. Um, uh, however, it, it was tremendously good for me because of one thing he said in the book. Uh, He said, if you'll discipline yourself to read your Bible in the original languages, you'll notice things that even accurate and wonderful English translations, you've just learned to read right over the top of it. And you you don't notice it. You don't notice it. Uh, Whereas if you were looking at it in Greek, you would notice it. Well, I didn't realize this until I'm preparing for this message, but the first year that I read straight through the Greek New Testament in one year, I liked it so much I actually read through it twice that year. I was the age that Terry is now. It was 1994. 1994. Straight through the Greek New Testament, for the first time. I'd read plenty of Greek, but I'd never just started saying, okay, I'm going to go from Matthew to Revelation, and then I'll restart it again. I'd never done that before, till 1994. And I did it shortly after I'd read A.T. Robertson's book. And I noticed this little principle several times, but my all-time shocker of what he said is here in this Verse where he said, in verse 16, you better pay attention to your life and to your teaching. Remain in those two pursuits. You stay at it. You keep looking at your life and your teaching. And as you'll do that, do you hear it coming? You shall save yourself. Well, we don't save ourselves. What is the Apostle Paul talking about? Has he forgotten all about Ephesians 2 8 and 9? I don't think he has. I don't think he has. But neither has he forgotten about things like this that Jesus says, it's those who persevere to the end who will be saved. So you watch your life and keep watching it. Present tense imperative again. You watch your life and keep watching it. And you watch your teaching and keep watching it. Because as you do so, you will save yourself and those listening to you because you'll tell them that they better pay attention to what they believe and how they're applying it to their lives. And you'll be able to tell them that some of them, this view of absolute assurance they have given the nature of their lives, is a silly myth that threatens the very survival of their souls if they don't see it, if they don't get it, if they're never warned. You will save yourself, those who hear. Um, The editors of Augustine's sermons on the Psalms, in the intro to those sermons, which are in seven volumes, summarized Augustine's um, philosophy of preaching this way. It's a paraphrase of what he wrote. We're about to read exactly what he wrote in a moment. But it it perfectly parallels our text here verse 16. Here's what Augustine said to his congregation. I nourish you with what nourishes me. I offer you what I live on myself. I nourish you with what nourishes me. And I offer you what I live on myself. Every once in a while, a little bit of historical research pays off. I looked at the footnote off of that quote in the intro of that book and saw that it was uh, found in uh, Augustine's Sermon 339. And so then I went and got Augustine's Sermon 339, and you know what I found out? It was the sermon that he preached on the 30th anniversary of his ordination into the ministry. A little bit like Terry, uh, Augustine was associate minister for two years, 1990, or, uh, 395 to 397, and then he became full bishop of Hippo in 397. And this sermon is 425. So 30—it's the 30th anniversary of his initial ordination. And here's exactly what he said to the congregation during that 30th anniversary sermon. I feed you on what I am fed on myself. I'm just a waiter. I'm not the master of the house. I set food before you from the pantry, which I too live on. From the Lord's storehouses, from the banquet of that householder who for our sakes became poor, though he was rich, in order to enrich us by means of his poverty, I feed you on what I am fed on myself. Watch your life and your teaching so as to save yourself. Now for those who hear, I'm just a waiter. I'm not the master of the house. I set food before you from the pantry of which I stand I, too, live on. That's the life of the church teacher. That's the life of the preacher. It's the life of the congregation, those who hear. I'll be in prayer for Terry as he heads off to a, a new place of ministry in Midland, Michigan. Um, I'm going to close in prayer. The worship team will come up and then after the worship team Terry will come up and share a couple of remarks with you and then Terry will offer the benediction for our service this morning. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Our Father in Heaven we thank you for the privilege of having passed cross with Cross paths with Terry Preheim, really in our congregation for 18 years, but 12 years in some official capacity, and 10 years on pastoral staff of this church. And is now, and he and Jen have received a call from you to head to Midland. Pray that you'd go with him. And enable him to represent you there in faithfulness and truth. To conduct ministry in such a way as to save his own soul. And to be an instrument of saving those who hear. The message that you've given him, as Augustine says, from your storehouse, from your pantry. We ask for it in Jesus' name. Amen.